G'day and welcome back to the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. This is our last episode for 2023 and we'll be joined today again by a great supporter of the podcast, Jonathan Mamrell. He is a director at NB Employment Law, which was formerly known as NB Lawyers. Jonathan has a trade union background and possesses a unique insight into legal matters related to employees in the workplace, which allows him to provide strategic advice and more importantly, practical advice that keeps employers one step ahead of the game. Over the last 10 years, he's led a team of employment lawyers that have helped hundreds of employers understand their legal requirements, mitigate risk and liability, and protect their reputation whilst achieving their overall goals for their businesses. I spoke with Jonathan around 10 months ago in late January of this year with a focus on changes to industrial relations law. Very interesting chat. And again, thank you for joining us on the podcast. But as always, enough from me and I'll hand over to Jonathan. Jonathan, thanks for joining me again. And this is a reprisal of a conversation we had in late January this year. So thank you for coming back and having a chat with me. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Eric. How about yourself? Yeah, good, good, good. Uh, looking forward to an end-of-year break, but um, looking forward to that and having this conversation are two different things, so I'll, I'll get to the number of things. We talked about in our previous discussion around the introduction of new IR, industrial relations laws for those that don't use the acronyms, and um, I just wanted to do a bit of a follow-up with those that are listening or watching the podcast, what are you seeing out in the world of work since their introduction? And I might start with, in, in general terms, any trends that you see happening? So probably the, the big ones that have really um, hit the shores. Um, so the probably the first one I'd probably talk about is sexual harassment. So the sexual harassment laws have changed. Um, there is now a positive obligation. So basically you need to take proactive steps to um, eliminate sexual harassment risks in the workplace, okay? So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that the Fair Work Act, Act now also defines sexual harassment as serious misconduct. So if it's not covered under um, um, a contract or a policy, for example, so the default position is that it's serious misconduct. But the third thing, which I think is probably more important, is that the Sex Discrimination Commissioner on 12 December will have now wide-ranging powers to enforce um, these sexual harassment legal provisions. Now, that's really interesting because those wide-ranging powers are, you know, your normal ones such as, like, um, naming and shaming, um, enforcing um, um, orders in a, in a court, for example. So orders might be something like um, forced training, uh, forced to do... Um, draft policies, procedures to deal with sexual harassment, uh, force to deal with a complaint of sexual harassment, for example, in, say, a mediation or conciliation conference. But there's even interesting ones. Um, so, uh, for example, the prevention of uh, financial incentives um, and pre prevention of non-financial incentives, for example, the ability potentially to um, prevent um, bonuses, and commissions to be paid, bonuses in particular being paid um, to um, uh, leadership or executive positions. That's going to be really interesting how that's enforced, but it's definitely flouted as an idea that the commissioner uh, would be able to do so. But just, just let me clarify there. So mm -hmm. 
your um, let's say person X is the harasser. Yeah, you're saying that any bonus incentives in their business can be stopped if the behaviour is not addressed by the employer. Uh, but the harasser, sure. I mean, but that's potentially going to happen potentially anyway for, sure. for employer. But I'm also talking about the the people who are responsible um, for that. So I'm talking more about the um, the CEO level uh, and executive level. So um, if the steps, if, if, let, let's say there has has been no steps taken, right? No steps taken, no no policy, uh, not adequately dealing with complaint, um, uh, no uh, complaint process, nothing. Right, no investigation, nothing. Then the commissioner may have the ability to actually go. Well, you know what, CEO, you've done nothing. You've done absolutely nothing here. We're going to look at as post as not just naming and shaming. We're going to put in a mechanism here to prevent you from getting a bonus um, that you you would normally be awarded for whatever KPIs that you've actually reached. And so that's going to be uh, that encouraging boards to also think about, well, how, what type of steps are they going to take to ensure their executive teams are preventing sexual harassment in the workplace? Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, Do you, and again, without naming businesses, Mm. your experience, do you think there there are a lot of businesses, irrespective of scale, that really don't have policies or processes in place to deal with this one and then probably the second part to that is until the proverbial hits the fan, yep. you have to be relying on a CEO or a senior leadership, senior leadership or executive leadership team to be able to have the understanding that there needs to be a process, procedural fairness when complaints are made and that there are actionable outcomes from all that. Where, where does that stand in your mind, mate? Well, I think it's it's a switch from a complaints uh, reaction process to a proactive uh, process. So what that will really mean is that um, organisations, employers who have already got steps in place, maybe they make them a little bit better, <clears throat> make them a little bit sharper, more clarity, etc. They're going to be uh, um, in a put in a better stead if there's a sexual harassment issue. Now that'll naturally happen, but now what's going to look, what's going to happen is as well is that the law itself will also say, well, you've taken these steps, reasonable steps, therefore your liability will be reduced or your risk will be reduced. That's that's the thing. So typically, you know, large organisations are probably going to be in a better position. Those with a HR team are probably going to be in a better position. Those with a workplace health and safety team are probably going to be in a better position. So those organisations that have those internal teams are probably going to be in a better position. Those who are potentially in a, on a smaller scale or smaller businesses may well need to get uh, advice on how they're going to discharge obligations. Um, in particular, I'd be looking at um, those who hire a lot of staff, so a lot of people, um those who have say um remote remote workers or work from home staff in particular how that's gonna um how that's all gonna work 
um, those who have staff where traditionally um, maybe, say, a sexual innuendo or sexual jokes um, are carried out on a regular basis. Um, so they're probably typical industries, but if you've got an organisation that does that quite a lot, like how are you going to be able to argue that you've discharged your positive obligation? That's going to be the key. Yeah, this is um, a potential minefield coming up. Have any recent cases you've read um, stuck the the need for businesses to be more aware of these obligations during the last uh, nine months or so? Not not so much now because it's, it's relatively recent. I mean, we're going to probably see what the Sex Discrimination Commission comes out with post-12 December. So post-12 December, we'll probably see like, okay, what, what's what's actually going to happen. Um, we're definitely seeing a spike in sexual harassment complaints. That's like that's unequivocal. And you can see any stats, statistics, Fair Commission, anything, like the complaints have increased. Like it's not, that's not, a, um, that's not controversial. Um, what's going to be interesting now is how employers deal with that. I mean, of course you've got psychosocial hazards as well, because that's the other one that's, that's really playing on um, employers' minds is how they deal with that, especially human resources, how they're dealing with psychosocial hazards. One of those hazards is sexual harassment. Right? So that that is something that a lot of organisations are having to deal with. They're starting with things like uh, policies, procedures, reviews of that, reviews of jobs. The other thing is manager training, workplace manager training. That's the other, other big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, and that that connects quite nicely. Thanks, uh, Jonathan, to this idea of where do leaders fit in this picture and having the appropriate training for the people that have to carry out the complaint process to understanding to understand what their obligations are. And just remind me and those that are either listening or watching, positive obligation. Can you define that again for us? Yeah, it's essentially to take um, proactive steps to discharge your duty. So essentially what it means is that being reactionary is no longer um, going to be enough. You, you already need to be able to showcase what steps you've taken to minimise the risk. And the risk could be, for example, a sexual harassment um, complaint, okay? So what steps have you taken? For example... Has there been sexual harassment training? Has there been, um, is there a policy in place? Um, has there been reminders? Has there been um, surveys undertaken? Has there been one-to-one -one communication, which is the staff members, team communication with the staff members? Are there, um, is it encouraged? Uh, sorry, sorry, is it actively discouraged? So those are the types of things. Like, are the ma managers, do they understand? Because it's the obligations around sexual harassment in particular, there's the um, state-based legislation around discrimination. There's the federal legislation around discrimination. There's um, there's the Fair Work Act. There's, um, there's workplace health and safety with psychosocial hazards. Um, and then you've got something like things like work cover or um, or workers' compensation, uh, general protections. There's actually quite a lot that goes into sexual harassment so do they do managers have an or and leaders have an understanding of those obligations right like like legal obligations essentially right and then what steps are they taking and and that's 
that's the, 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 the risking part of it. That makes sense. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it's, um, between our discussions and I've had a fairly long time to think about this and it's one of the reasons I reached out is I'd always assumed people running businesses really do put some gray matter into their legal obligations. And I get the feeling, again, this is just a, a me perspective here, Jonathan, yeah. um, jump in whenever you like. It's more around when you start your business how do I get pay to my people quickly? How do I make sure I've got their records up to date? How do I make sure their environment is conducive to productive work? And um, if you if you assume that if it's looking good on a Monday, it's going to look good for the rest of the week and there really aren't any other systems in there in place, you're taking a risk and it's, it's, it's not a, a small risk because I figure the bigger your workplace gets and the more skilled people you've got, and and I, I personally believe issues around psychosocial um, breaches and sexual harassment, it that those are blind to age, ethnicity, and, and gender. It, it will happen in workplaces because human beings are human beings. It's... Mm. It's um you're in some ways talking about how do you change a culture and thinking around those things. And from your experiences, again, not wanting to name individual businesses, obviously, do you think our mindsets are there as leaders and businesses right where they need to be, or is it still a work in progress? It's tough um, for organisations to embrace the the changes i suppose the one thing i would say is that if your manager or your management team or even your executive team don't uh, believe that uh, sexual harassment is an issue or psychosocial hazards like overwork is is an issue and they don't want to um, make changes for the sake of their business, you know, for productivity, to increase productivity or increase efficiency or to retain staff or to recruit staff. If they don't want to see it from that lens, essentially the 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 the, the management lens or leadership lens, well, the law now here is saying, well, if you don't think from that perspective, we're actually forcing you to do so. Because that's what the obligation is about, right? That's it's forcing you now to go be proactive. And that is a burden. It is absolutely a burden on employers and and individuals involved, right? Like um, that, that that's definitely a burden. But that is what the law is at this stage. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that it, it's a burden. I think it's the price of doing business. And if you're naive naive to the intricacies of law, which which I have to admit that I am. I mean, like. Most you have some very vague understanding of the law if you're not in it like yourself. But I would have thought one of the overriding um, objectives of creating a a, a a productive, safe, and and de decent work environment is people should go in without expecting hassle. So if you can have a hassle-free day, in terms of of not being a not being exposed to ridicule, not being sexually harassed, not being bullied, all of those things that can really screw with your head that shouldn't ha shouldn't be happening in a place of business where you're assuming you're dealing with adults that 
um, in that context, you need to provide that environment. And if it took a form of legislation to force employers to think about it, you've got to think that before this, there really wasn't much attention being paid to it unless a, unless a proverbial hit the fan and then hopefully had those systems in place. Now you don't really have an excuse not to have those things there. And um, if I have this right, ignorance of these new laws is not a defence if you get caught out down the track, is it? No, that's the thing. That's what the puzzle obligation is. It's requiring you to take proactive steps. So that's that's the issue. If you are just reactionary, then you should expect that your liability, your risk will, of course, be there, but your liability would increase. Um, there was a case in Victoria, um, um, and in that case, um, there was a, a essentially an, an issue with a sexual harassment um, uh, complaint, but also just like sexual harassment was occurring. The, the employer basically didn't do enough. Okay, there was a there was a policy, but it wasn't really rolled out. That there was um, a complaint, but they really didn't deal with complaint really in any way, properly, any way, shape, or form. And I think it was just a hairdresser. Uh, or a barber or a hairdresser, and they had to pay damages of, I think, about $150,000. So now, is that um, a huge amount for, um, you know, essentially, I say, a large organisation? Probably not. For a medium-sized business, yeah, it's, it's quite quite substantial. So, yeah, there, there has to be um, a thinking around that. The other, I mean, the other thing as well is it's not just those areas too. So, there's also been, if you look at it from a more wider, wider lens, probably the big one that everyone's talking about as well is multi-employer enterprise bargaining. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other big one, right? So um, at this stage, um, there's been a bit of a hold, a ceasefire, as you, as you might say, um, until early next year, um, where the Senate will then have a look at it um, in greater detail, a look at the bill in greater detail. Um but we do already have in place um, uh, multi-employer enterprise bargaining. Um, and there might be some changes to that early next year. But right now, as we speak, we've already had the first um, case, um, successful case ran by the unions um, for a number of childcare um, providers. Now, it's a little bit different because the childcare providers basically acquiesced and agreed you know, they'll be under under the same umbrella. But it's just an example of one um, that's gone through to the keeper um, of a, of a multi-employer uh, bargaining agreement. Now, the, the fear um, is, probably legitimately, is that they would rope in a whole pile of organisations that are essentially competitors, right? And they rope into the same agreement and then they would then um, bargain with them You'd lose any competitive advantage potentially, um, but from an industry perspective, or from even from an enterprise perspective, there'd be essentially set rates of pay, you know, or set term terms and conditions. Um, and there's ways to avoid it, but one day ways for not ways to avoid it, but ways to minimize the risk of one. But one of the ways to avoid it, right, would be to have your own enterprise agreement in place. So this is really, it's an interesting space. 
um, right now, childcare. Okay, they've got one now. Um, I suspect other other industries um, will be targeted in the near future. Um, that's definitely a, a watch watch this space. Uh, hos, hos, hospitals, the the medical field. I, I think all industries can be targeted. Yeah. All, okay. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, any anyone really with similarities across the board, and there are a lot of them. Um, with a lot of staff, I think I just think that's it's just uh, look, <clears throat> childcare traditionally lower paid uh, workers, so probably those areas are probably going to be targeted. But uh, you know, obvious the obvious ones we can talk about, right? Construction, mining, etc. Um, manufacturing, right? They're probably the obvious ones. I don't know if that's going to happen sooner rather than later, but we'll see because probably what will change that will be what happens with the labour hire uh, legal changes. So if labour hire are roped into the same job, same pay, um, closing loophole bill, and they are roped into that, yeah, there could be a number of changes um, we'll see in the future. So that's, that's probably the ones that link together. No, thank you for that. And finally, before we wrap up, Jonathan, mm. um, one thing that I wanted to ask, just out of curiosity, is impact on insurances for businesses. Are we going to to see pressure coming from insurance companies, brokers to their client businesses to have these things in place so they avoid um, legal suits and so on? Because if you're insured, I guess potentially maybe under uh, professional indemnity or public liability. I don't know which one of the two it would be. If you had someone bring a case against you, can you insure your businesses against these claims? Well, I suppose that would be a really good question for an insurance broker to, to answer. Um, but I suspect that there will be a lot of discussion um, and a lot of employers will be having a lot of discussions with their insurance brokers about what's covered, what's not covered because absolutely there's going to be a lot more that the management teams even, not just leadership, but management teams have to consider. So potentially the, the answer to your question is uh, potentially, I, I'd, I'd say insurance broker, it'd be a good question for um, to, to put forward to your insurance broker for sure. Yeah, 100%. Jonathan, thank you for your time, mate. If people want to get in touch, um, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, of course. Um, 0738765111 is the phone number. You can also log into lawyersforemployers.com.au and uh, my email, jonathanm at mb-lawyers.com.au. You can get in touch with all those. I'm on LinkedIn as well. So, yeah, you can get in contact and I'm happy to speak to you. No worries, Jonathan. Thank you for joining us, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for that. That concludes our podcast for today. I'd like to thank Jonathan for his time and insights and more importantly for his support of the podcast over the last few years and more broadly for the for the guests that we've had on this podcast over the last almost 250 episodes of Talking Leadership and now the new format Talking Leadership TV. Some key changes for 2024 will include a focus on three new areas. I'm going to be looking at reflective leader practice challenges to our leadership practice and finally to be looking at how do we develop our leaders and entrepreneurs for the future. I hope you can join us in 2024. We'll be taking a break for December and January 
Again, thank you for your support in 2023. And last but not least, a big thank you to my family for helping me produce this podcast. As always, have a great day, rest of your week, and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.